entering the Freedom Hut. The Obamagate reckoning, the swoosh recovery, how the libs lie about Barr and Pompeo, is China hacking our vaccine research, and Trump retweets the Buckster six times on Sunday morning. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining on this Monday in the middle of May. It does not feel like it normally would this time of year because we are in the midst of this continued battle to get our lives back. Uh, the good news that I have for you today is that there are some signs of real progress here. Uh, the stories that we were told about Georgia, for example. Well, well, let's actually step back for a moment. With Florida, we were told that they were moving too late, and so they would hit catastrophe. Turned out that was not the case. With Georgia, we were told they were moving too early to reopen, and so they would hit catastrophe. Turned out that's not the case. In fact, Governor... Brian Kemp shared uh, just a couple of days ago that today marks the lowest number of COVID-19 positive patients hospitalized nationwide since hospitals began reporting this data on April 8th. Today also marks the lowest total of ventilators in use, 897 with 1,945 available. We will win this fight together. So Georgia is now 15 days into its reopen. You've started to have some uh, some businesses getting back on their feet. And, and and I want to talk more about what this is going to look like across the country. But the team apocalypse, as our friend of the show, Alex Berenson, calls them, the shutdown forever chorus is losing ground because one shutdown forever is crazy. And two, the data does not support it. The data does not support at this juncture, the continued state by uh, every state lockdown that we've seen. And that's why the states that are beginning to reopen are doing better than was anticipated, better than was expected. We shouldn't have any surprise with that. But I, I will get more into the what is being called in the Wall Street Journal, the uh, swoosh shaped recovery, which let me tell you is not that easy to say on a radio show. I mean, that should be our, not a V shape. V shape would be the best. A swoosh is not is uh, going to require a little more patience, and we'll get to that later on in the show. And then also just the media malfeasance on display over the weekend was like nothing else you could imagine. I mean, well, I guess it's like the media always is, but they got they got caught with their hands in the cookie jar, not a once, but a twice. Well, maybe that was in the spaghetti plate, not the cookie jar, but you know what I mean. They they got they got it caught two times, so. We will uh, we'll get into that. We'll talk about why they keep making mistakes only in one direction and anti-Trump and then expect us to think that these are good faith errors. Hmm. I don't think so. But I, I want to start with what I think is the or, or I should say transition. This isn't really the start anymore, is it? Team, I missed you over the weekend. I had way too much time in my hands to read, finish up some research on the Malta podcast, which producer Mark will remind me of today if I don't say it out loud. So it is coming even the Snow Princess has said, where is your Malta podcast? Because she wants to hear it. And I'm like, it's just going to be me sitting alone, drinking 
mezcal and talking about a battle from over 500 years ago or from 500 or so years ago. Uh, and we'll see if anyone likes it. And she's like, do it. So there is no do, do or do not. There is no try. That's where I am on this. So it is coming. But over the weekend, there was just a lot of watching of movies and reading and doing research. And the most interesting story to me is really taking us back to the beginnings of the Trump presidency and the opposition to him and the hashtag resistance and much of what we have been talking about since well honestly since this show went into national syndication which was now four it's kind of stunning but it was four years ago uh, which had to do with the deep state plot the coup against the president of the united states this is what this is what they were doing i mean they tried to find a mechanism a legal mechanism for it uh, they abused power. They certainly broke regulations and they broke faith with the American people and with the Constitution. But we now know beyond any doubt that there were people in the very top echelon of the federal government. And when I say beyond any doubt, we have proof. We've known for years. Go back and listen to what I was saying about the Flynn prosecution a year, two, two and a half years ago. Right? Uh, this is not a surprise to any of us. So there's there's a part of us that we're just seeing what we have known, what we have believed all along here to be confirmed by the evidence, the evidence from the uh, disclosures now from federal court. And as we know, the dropping by the DOJ of the case against General Flynn, which came from a career, not a and not a political appointee, uh, a, a career DOJ guy that has shown us that we were right, of course, and that everything that we had thought about the other side was true and now we have now we have uh actual documentation of it now it's not just this is what would make sense knowing what we know and knowing who they are and what they're trying to achieve this is no longer a theory this is fact this is fact that they went after flynn in a way that was egregious wrong full of lies and dishonesty and that it was all a part of this broader effort to destroy the Trump administration using this this complete fabrication. It really is a fabrication of the Russia collusion fantasy. And look, I, I think that Sidney Powell says it quite well here. And I, I don't want to get to, you know, she's the lawyer who the establishment was, you know, thumbing their nose at and, and mocking for a long time here. Oh, she's. All these so-called legal experts at the different sites and on CNN and MSNBC, you know, feeding their ignorant left wing moron viewership as much anti Flynn bile as they possibly could all the time. What? Why do people hate General Flynn? So much? What did the guy even do? They, they, they even if you believe what they believe, he kind he fibbed about a unimportant, non-criminal nonsense to some FBI guys who did a sneak attack on him? You, you think that's worth ruining somebody's life over? The, the Bill Clinton defenders of the Democratic Party think that ru- ruining Flynn's life over this. Remember, Clinton lied about a whole bunch of things. He told, he, it was more than just the, oh, he lied about sex. That's, that's an idiot's line. He lied uh, mo- about multiple things. He also told people to lie on his behalf while there was a an invest- while was a special counsel investigation going on of him. So he was ob- that is ob- that is obstructing justice, right? He was doing all these things, but they just said, "Oh, he lied about sex," and they made it go away. They want to ruin Flynn's life, and you say, "Why? What did he do?" And that's a very interesting question, actually. Why did he upset them so much? Because I'm I'm building all of this to Obama's role. Why did, why did Obama escape 
any of the major criticism, any of the focus in this whole thing, who was the president? Who was running the White House? Who was at the top of the government food chain when this whole thing was going on? Barack Hussein Obama. Who was getting briefed about some of these moves, including the move on Flynn and the phone call and all this stuff? Obama. You know, I think that we, we often lose sight of how immune to real criticism and transparency and opposition the Obama administration was. Uh, the media, as dishonest and disgusting as they are, are still very powerful, and they completely prostrated themselves in front of Barack Obama. They, they, they begged for him to just say a nice word about them or, or just wink in their, in their direction. It was gross. And that's why it's no surprise that the media, I mean, now when I say that they're dishonest and horrible, and they complain so much about Trump. I turn around and look at this and say, well, given what we know about how they were acting under Obama, this is just the this is just the exact opposite reaction that they're having. This is an opposite thing. It's opposite day. That's what they're doing. But Obama was able to escape the eye or even of conservatives for the most part on this one. And, you know, we had a piece on BuckSexton.com uh, based on my analysis here on the show and what I've also tweeted out that. You know, the buck stops with Obama, essentially, that that there's no way that you can know that this conspiracy, that this soft coup occurred and not view Obama as somehow involved and ultimately responsible. And then the question just becomes, how much was it directed by him? You know, was this on his watch and he bears responsibility or was this at his behest? And so these people were really just tools of an Obama vendetta against Flynn. There is plenty of evidence to suggest now that that may have been the case. And we know for a fact, based on the uh, events here, that there was bad faith, abuse of power, and illegality even behind the scenes to take down Flynn. And Obama knew about that bad faith, and people around him were acting on it. And he didn't do anything about it. So he's at least somewhat guilty, and I mean directly guilty of this takedown of Flynn. Now we're just trying to figure out how guilty. And that's where Sidney Powell, the Flynn lawyer, who, you know, she gets, we got to give her a hand. We got to give her some applause here. I know she, she appears on a lot of shows, a lot of radio shows and, and Fox all the time. I mean, I might have her here, but I feel like there's some guests who you're seeing so much of on TV that, I mean, I, I value all of my time with you. And so if I feel like someone's done you know, a uh, hundred interviews in five days or something. I'm not always that keen to be like, well, let me ask you the same questions everybody else does. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll ask her to come on. Um, and I've, I've been aware of her work for a while and been supporting it. I mean, I was tweeting at the president, pardon General Flynn. I, I mean, I could go back in the archives and check, but I, it, maybe a year, maybe two years ago. I mean, I've been saying we got to get this done. But here's what Sidney Powell, back to the Obama responsibility and all this. Which this, my friends, this is the third rail. This is the nuclear reactor that will melt down if you get too close to it for the libs. They will completely lose their minds. Who's who's really the the uh, the standard bearer of the Democratic Party? I don't care that Joe Biden is their nominee. Who, who do they rally around and point to and say, see, this is what Democratic uh, the Democratic Party is really all about. It's not Hillary Clinton anymore. It's not Joe Biden. It's still Barack Obama. So as a symbol for the Democrats, he's very important. And, and as a, 
not necessarily a kingmaker because he wouldn't step in and say he was going to be on Team Biden here, but certainly as, as an influent, influential figure in the Democratic Party. But even more than that, the story, the mythology of Obama, for, for decades you're going to hear people on the left, Democrats, who are trying to turn this country socialist, who will point to Obama as the sort of modern FDR, like the paragon of Democrat Party virtue for a long time thereafter. And that's why they get so testy about it. That's why they get so touchy when you bring up anything that happened with him. And here, anything that President Obama himself may have done that was not acceptable. That was a problem. Here's Sidney Powell, lawyer for General Flynn, giving her analysis of this one. Play three. So, mm-hmm. so then they dispatched Comey Holy. the very next morning to brief President Trump only on the salacious aspects of the dossier on January 6th to set the news hook for BuzzFeed and CNN to run with the dossier they knew was a lie. Then Peter Strzok is watching CNN report on that and text about he and Priestap sitting there watching it and using it as a pretext to go interview some people. So the whole thing was orchestrated and set up within the FBI, Clapper, Brennan, and in the Oval Office so, meeting that Day with th- President Obama. So you think this goes all the way up to the top to President Obama? Absolutely. It absolutely does. The only the only question that remains is not whether Barack Obama was in on it. It's whether Barack Obama was the one directing the whole thing. Because if you read a news story about some European country where after a fair election, The outgoing president used his last weeks in office to target incoming officials and sabotage the new administration. You'd be appalled. But it happened here, my friends, and half the country thinks it was just fine. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You can tell that they're getting a little bit closer than Obama's comfortable with on this whole thing. You can tell. Because he's speaking out. Now the legacy is in jeopardy. Now the mythology of Obama has come into question. He was, as they called him in the media for years, no drama Obama. So deliberative in all of his... Uh, I'm going to talk like this. Uh, I'm going to take some time. Uh, you know... And I'm going to take 10 minutes to say anything. And they were always talking about he was a genius. He's perfect. He never did anything wrong. And, you know, there, there are some parts of, you know, of Obama's presidency that I think are are unassailable and that he was, you know, he seemed like a, a, a good dad and husband and a good family man. You know, how much is that really a part of the presidency? You could discuss, you know, how much of that is relevant. But, you know, there are things I, I don't attack things about Obama that I think weren't, you know, either either were praiseworthy or weren't a problem. His conduct in this matter is horrific, okay? The fact that he allowed General Flynn, a 30-year-plus military veteran who had served under Obama as chief of the DIA, and they had some, some uh, vendetta against him, and he allowed this to go forward, is absolutely disgraceful and horrific, and that's why Obama, in this phone call, this was published, this is audio, a phone call with Obama and his 3,000-person like Team Obama, I don't know what, what exactly they're called, but it's these people that all are still on, like, the Obama. Bruce and Mark, what's their, do we know what they're officially, like, who was on this phone? I know it's 3,000 people. They're obviously all Democrats, and they're all like, Obama. They, like, worship this guy. But there's some term they have for them. They're like the Obama, 
you know, I don't know, something. Obama squad. Um, but here's what he said about President Trump and his coronavirus response. Play nine. It would have been bad even with the best of governments. It has been an absolute chaotic disaster uh, when that uh, mindset of what's in it for me uh, and to heck with everybody else, when that mindset is operationalized uh, in our government. That's that's taking a shot directly at Trump. And I mean, it's not even it's not even an intelligent analysis of the situation. I mean, to say that, uh, you know, because of what's like Trump is what's in it for me. What are we are we now going to do the same thing we do at the Trump Hotel? Oh, he's selling cheeseburgers to people. They must own they must own Trump now because he's selling them cheeseburgers. Uh, this is um, yeah, this is the president speaking to former members of his administration to rally behind Joe Biden. I don't know. There was some. Yeah, it's basically like the it's basically like Team Obama. I mean, I don't know what it's he like has this group of people that are all former Obama folks that he talks to on the phone. Anyway, um, Obama also went on to say that the the Justice Department, you know, that justice itself is is at risk here because of this. Hmm. He must know that this is going to leak out. This is not a surprise. So he's he's taking he's taking shots at Trump now, but pretending that he's not kind of, you know, this is the. This is one of these old political tricks where, you know, I would never speak about how, you know, my my opponent is actually a terrible human being and nobody should ever vote for him. That would be beneath me. Um, But here's what I'm going to tell you about Obama. He's never been up against somebody like Trump. He's only been up against McCain's and Romney's and people who weren't willing to really fight, weren't willing to really say what they thought about a situation or an individual. And don't, and don't care what the media says about their, you know, their commentary. So, you know, Obama is not a political brawler, my friends. He was very, uh, very taken care of and held up and protected by the media. If he starts throwing some uh, some jabs at Trump, he might find himself on the other side of a rhetorical haymaker pretty quickly. It might get pretty rough for for o- Obama. But you know what? Obama's ego he won't he won't be able to resist. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, this is disgusting. It's it's something that we've been exposing and fighting to get the truth out for a long time. You know, we're talking years to try to get the facts out on this. Uh, the FBI and uh, some of the holdovers in the Justice Department were trying to hide this from getting out. Adam Schiff was trying to mislead people about what was going on here. Uh, but this was a setup uh, by some real dirty cops within the FBI in the Justice Department. And how high does it go? There are very serious questions being raised about whether it goes all the way to the top. And did Barack Obama and did Vice President at the time, Joe Biden, know about this and, and encourage it to happen, let alone let it happen? Because as you pointed out, The FBI had previously made a decision 
uh, not to go forward with a prosecution of General Flynn because he didn't do anything wrong. And instead, a few of the dirty cops wanted to set him up because they ultimately wanted to take down Donald Trump even after he was duly elected president of the United States with, with nothing behind it. There was no evidence except the Russian disinformation that came from the Steele dossier, which was fueled by a Democratic Party operatives tied to Hillary Clinton's campaign. This is disgraceful. It's even worse than that. I mean, Steve Scalise is right, but it's worse than that. We now have these, and I, I spent my weekend because I know how to, ain't no party like a Team Buck party because a Team Buck party reads a lot of government documentation off of .gov websites so that he can do a good radio show. The U.S. House of Representatives Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence has now, HIPSI, has now posted the Russia investigation transcripts and documents <clears throat> from 2017 and 2018. And now you have to skip past the fact that the way it's, it's offered to you, the way it's presented, because the Democrats are in the majority in the House, is like an MSNBC screed. So you have to avoid that. It's, you know, Adam Schiff, was this okay? This is terrible. I hate Trump. The usual cold-eyed nonsense lies and, and lies and just, he's such an odious grotesque little man the adam schiff very bad fellow uh really not somebody not somebody you'd want your family your kids your friends anybody around not not a good guy but here it is i mean because I, I, I don't think you could be a good person and ruin someone's life for politics like general like ruin someone like general flynn along with many others you know we're focused on flynn right now look what they did to carter page look what they did to papadopoulos look what they did to roger stone roger stone's going to prison for four years they say that's not enough these people are sociopaths. They, they do not feel other human beings' pain. They do not feel, they do not understand the damage that they do. In fact, they revel in it. They think that it's justified. It's even worse than that. I'm sure some of you would write me that right now if you could. Oh, no, Buck, it's not that they can't feel. They like the pain the others feel. They like the ruination of Roger Stone and, and Manafort and Gates and <clears throat> all these different individuals. Now, I, I would want to say here, there's the difference between what justice demands and what makes wild-eyed partisans feel good. You know, Manafort didn't pay his taxes. Should Manafort get in trouble? Yes. Was he treated horribly? Uh, because, and I'm also somebody who thinks, I know this might be a little controversial. You know, I think you cheat on your taxes the first time. They take all the money owed and they take a huge fine out of you. I, I don't know if you go to prison for a long time for that. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm not okay with it, so... I know some of you may may disagree with me on that, but, you know, you cheat on your taxes. You should you should have to pay restitution and a big fine. You do it again. Maybe, you know, they they have to lock you up for a little bit, but you do it the first time. I think everybody gets I think you get a one. I mean, that fine should hurt. I mean, basically, whatever the money was, you didn't pay. You should probably double it. Right. But anyway, I don't want to get too far into this. I just think that we all agree that taxation is theft. Right. <laughs> and it's legalized theft, but it's it's crazy. Uh, and there's so much of it going on. And the government is spending your money in ways that are debasing the hours of labor and, and all of the assets that you have. I mean, we don't see it and feel it in real time, but it is happening. But anyway, they want to destroy people. Sorry, I, I was getting a little too Ron Swanson there with taxation. Or stuff, but we'll talk about that another day. Uh, probably July 15th, which is now the new tax day for this year. But they, they destroy people. They don't care about the fact that they're destroying people. And, and really, they celebrate it. 
I read through some of these trans. There's a lot of them. I read through some of the transcripts over the weekend. Uh, one of the better ones. Well, there, there's some. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, but one of the better ones is, you know, you read through Carter Page and you read through Donald Trump Jr. and you read through Sally Yates. We'll get back to Sally Yates, Brad Parscale. Uh, you know, just so many people. And a lot of them were, I believe, paying their own medical bills. I mean, not med- sorry, legal bills, not medical bills. <laughs> Whoops. Legal bills in this process. Corey Lewandowski. I mean, you can read all these very long, very long um, interview transcripts. And here's what comes across. They knew that there, that there was no Russia collusion, that there was nothing there. And there were people who were interviewed here under oath including McCabe and, uh, well, I mean, obviously Adam Schiff had had all these people talking under, you know, speaking under oath about things. They, behind closed doors, were saying one thing, and Schiff and other Democrats were hearing it, which was that there's nothing. They don't have anything. There's no Russia collusion. And then they'd go right out. I mean, Schiff would go right out on MSNBC on a TV and say, oh, there's definitely collusion evidence out there. And, oh, it's, it's, uh, this person is a fraud. He's a liar. He should resign. He should no longer be in office. It's a disgrace. A disgrace what he did. And many others, too. Many others. These people should lose their positions. They won't because they were doing the dirty work of, of their uh, partisan apparatus. Representative Lee Zeldin, for example, is out there saying that Schiff should resign, in fact. Play clip seven. Well, Adam Schiff should not be the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. His gavel should be removed. He should be censured. He should resign. There's there's a lot that uh, should happen, but Nancy Pelosi isn't going to punish Adam Schiff. In fact, uh, that's the reason why he has the gavel in the first place. He's the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, which became the House Impeachment Committee because of the way he uh, writes these fairy tale parodies, uh, because of the the Russia investigation, and it became the the impeachment push. Uh, it's actually one that that the Democrats reward. It's one that the media rewards. So I'm not going to uh, expect any repercussions, even though he should resign today. Yep, that's all correct. He should resign today. He will not resign today. Um, And I'm also warning you right now, there will not be any real justice, I think, here for any of the people that attempted the coup will effectively get away with the attempt. They weren't successful but they will not really be punished for the attempt. Sure, Strzok was fired. McCabe was fired. That's some punishment. Those are people, Strzok and Page, I'm sorry, Strzok and McCabe and Page, these are people who locked up individuals countless times over the years for nonviolent crimes, frauds, white-collar crimes, uh, you know, accounting frauds, mail fraud, wire fraud. Send people to prison for that. Just remember that. They, they, they were fine with other people with near victimless crimes, never mind even getting into like insider trading stuff with near victimless crimes. They would send people to prison, separated from their family. They're fine. And they tried to undo the results of a presidential election. And they're not going to get punished really at all. They're not going to spend a day in prison. I mean, McCabe lied under oath and is getting away with it. That's just the deep state privilege. That's just when you're when the people that still run these different offices, you know, you don't even know their names. I mean, I remember what this is like from the CIA 
when the people that are in charge of the different subcomponents, not even just at the director level, but below that, when they think you're one of theirs, you're going to get the better. You're, you're going to get not just the benefit of the doubt, you're going to get a, a pass. If you speak out against the institution, though, or if you are a, a political problem for them, they will string you up and, and rip you apart and annihilate you. I mean, they just will absolutely destroy you. So McCabe gets away with this. McCabe gets away with this. Um, yeah, that's that's what I, I, I don't think. Un, unfortunately, though, the part of this that we really need more information on would be the uh, the Obama direct President Obama himself, his involvement in all of this. And I just think that that's going to there's there's no incentive for the people who would really know to come forward. There's no incentive for those who would have been in that room, in that Oval Office, Comey and Yates and uh, Clapper and Brennan. Clapper, Brennan, these guys were going behind closed doors and saying, no, we didn't have any Russia collusion information. And then they're going on TV. Oh, I knew there was Russia collusion. I, I can't imagine being such a liar. Such a liar. If I go on TV and I get a fact wrong... I beat myself up for days afterwards, and I'm like, how could you have been such an idiot? And that's just an accident, right? I can't imagine going on and saying something of this kind of uh, momentous issue, like whether the president of the United States stole the election and is a traitor. And you were the former head of the, uh, of the CIA, or you were the director of national intelligence, and you know because you've been behind closed doors, never mind just the intelligence you had access to, but you've heard the investigation and the questions, and now you're just going to pretend. You're just going to lie. Just going to be a huge, disgusting liar and get rewarded for it. People like Comey have effectively been rewarded. I mean, Comey is making tons of money. Democrats everywhere basically weep, you know, you know, female Democrats think Comey is some dreamboat. I mean, it's disgusting. But here we are. Here we are. We know the truth now. Will we get justice? I think the answer is Probably not, but we'll see. But we go back to it. Obamagate. What did he know? When did he know it? And let's not give him this false invulnerability anymore where you can't really criticize Obama. Oh, no. So so Comey, Brennan, Clapper, Yates, all these people, Loretta Lynch, all these people were in on it and were were being completely and utterly corrupt. But Obama was above reproach. He was above all this. None of us believe that. We know that's a lie. How much of it can we prove? That's what we have to see. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. When I say that the mainstream media is full of frauds and liars, I really mean it. Because <laughs> I'm not a fraud or a liar. So when I tell you that, it's really, really true. We had some fantastic examples of this over the weekend. I mean, really, really uh, crystal clear stuff. And they went after the two most effective members of the Trump cabinet and certainly the two most effective, not just at their post, but also at dealing with the media, the media garbage. So the left is all upset because they really wanted General Flynn to be ruined 
And that was really important to them because this was, remember, this was part of their whole, General Flynn is, he pleaded guilty. He pleaded guilty. That means he's bad. And everyone, you know, there are a bunch of like hysterical little children about this. And it turns out that the whole thing was a sham and they forced a plea based on lies and, and pressure that they hid from the court. And it was a fix. It was like a Stalinist show trial. It, the fix was in. This was not about justice. Okay. So they can all cry all day, but the fix was in. We know that. But now they want to go after somebody else. They want to find some way to suggest that this was wrong, that Flynn shouldn't be exonerated, that they shouldn't move past, you know, that we shouldn't be able to move past that initial false guilty plea, uh, forced guilty plea. You know, and can I also just point out to you for a second, I haven't mentioned this yet in the year, but I meant to. How many times before have you seen liberals argue, oh, he pleaded guilty, but that that doesn't mean anything. Tons of times. Tons of times. My, my friend Ann Coulter uh, came, came on air with me recently at, um, on uh, WOR Radio in New York, and she said that, you know, you look at the Central Park Jogger case, those kids were on video confessing and with detail, with adult relatives present who were, who were telling them, yeah, tell them what happened. You know, we know you, you, know, we know you did bad things. And they, they confessed on video and were told that those confessions don't count. So, I mean, the whole, oh, they pleaded guilty. You pleaded guilty, you don't get the questioning now. This is a new standard that Libs, the left, has come up with for Flynn, which is total crap, as we know. But okay. Now, now I, I just had to note that. I think that's very important for you because they have no standards. Once again, no standards, no principles. I mean, if these people were in charge, you know, I, I, I can tell you this right now. If whatever offense I could ever be guilty of against the state, irrespective of whether they knew my politics or not, I would want a conservative judge and not a liberal judge. Not because... I think that a conservative would view me favorably in some way, but because at least a conservative believes in the law, the liberal judge maybe has some has some policy bone to pick with people or the liberal judge, you know, views uh, himself or herself as being part of a giant social engineering experiment of progressivism and leveraging the power that he or she has from that bench as part of that process. So you can't you can't look libs, you can't trust them. That's really what it comes. Can't trust libs. Can't do it. <sighs> Speaking of which, Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd. I, I, why this guy has a show, you know, Meet the Press, you know, it used to be Russert's show. And Russert was, Russert was very widely liked in D.C. I mean, he was a liberal, but he was at least a, he was a liberal that put on a good show of being reasonable. You know, made it, made it seem to people. He was a liberal, though, but he made it seem to people that he was reasonable and did a good interview, apparently. I never really watched the show, so I don't know. So I'm just basing it on you know, what I've read and what I know, what I've heard. Uh, but Chuck Todd is a kind of, you know, mealy mouth, kind of, I don't know. I don't understand. What is the appeal of Chuck Todd? I mean, you know, he's friends with people who make decisions at NBC, I guess. Oh, and he'll do exactly what they tell him to do. And he sort of, you know, he has this way of, you know, oh, I'm very into politics and I really want to ask political questions. And I'm, he's a just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to anybody who's paying attention to anything. But Chuck, <laughs> I can't imagine being Chuck Todd's audience. Yeah, this guy's really, this guy's really impressive. He's really smart. He's really good on TV. Any of these things. The guy has no ability, no talent whatsoever, other than just sort of, you know, weaseling his way through the corporate media infrastructure to get into a position of influence and authority. And now we're supposed to say, oh, Chuck Todd. I mean, say, you know, Tapper, Todd. These people with the Sunday shows are horrible. They're horrible. 
They're just frauds. They pretend, oh, I'm just asking the real question, doing the real journalism. They're DNC hacks, and it's a joke. That's why people in my business, a lot of them watch these Sunday shows, and, and then they'll like text me, say, hey, do you see this? And no, I didn't. I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll watch the clip afterwards when I catch them being frauds, which is what we have for you coming up. But I, I have to take a quick breather here, and then I'll come back and play you the media fraud on the other side because I got too excited about other uh, side notes in my story. Stay with me. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, team. So as promised, what was the most wildly dishonest thing the media did this weekend? I mean, this is a this is a competition on any given weekend, especially with the Sunday shows, with the so-called uh, political uh, journalists, their hacks, their liars, but the political journalists that run these shows. And this was a great one. This is a great one because they even had to admit kind of like meekly and off the side. Well, maybe we shouldn't have done this. They had to admit that this was a uh, grotesque misrepresentation. And so with that, we have Chuck Todd here referring to what the attorney general. Remember, they're all very upset about the Flynn situation. They're blaming the attorney. They hate Pompeo and they hate Barr. Right. They hate these two guys because they're smart. They're good at what they do. And they're both a big problem for attacking the Trump administration. Right. This isn't like the old days where you had Tillerson and Sessions. And I know I, I know some of you are always like, Buck, why, I, uh, Sessions like this radio show and he's such a nice guy and he's a gentleman and I feel bad for him. He's just Sessions. Sessions was not disloyal. He was just too much of a Boy Scout. He didn't understand what he was up against. I, he, I do not think he's a disloyal guy at all. I think he was always a big proponent of the Trump agenda, even before a lot of other people were when he was a senator. But he got rolled. He got pushed aside, and uh, he shouldn't have. On the, uh, I mean, I was in the Oval Office with the president when the president said, and this broke news at the time, I don't have an attorney general. He did have an attorney general. It was Jeff Sessions, but he said, I don't have one. So now he's got one. With Bill Barr, who's kind of like, come on, what do you, what do you guys, what do you guys think you're doing? Come on, you think you're gonna pull some over on me, kid? I've been around the block. Like that's Bill Barr. Like it's just not happening. And then there's Pompeo, who I always feel like is like, do you want to have an arm wrestling contest? Do you want to see who the big dog in the room is? You know, I'm always like, no sir, no sir. So both great members of the cabinet. And here is how Chuck Todd represented a a response uh, that Bill Barr has on. The Flynn, the dropping of charges against Flynn. Play clip one. Uh, You brought up Bill Barr. Peggy Noonan, I want you to listen to this Bill Barr answer to a question about what will history say about this. Wait till you hear this answer. Take a listen. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on on, uh, who's writing the history. I was struck, Peggy, by the cynicism of the answer. It's a correct answer, but he's the attorney general. He didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, this is a this is a political job. I mean, you just yeah, I had to let you hear the whole thing, too, because understand this. He, they cut it in a way where it's clear because the next sentence makes everything that Chuck Todd said untrue. And they must know this. But they're so used to getting away with this crap. They're so used to the dishonesty and not being called out on it that sometimes they just get so they get sloppy. 
And, you know, in the Tim Russert area or in the uh, era or in the Dan Rather or Cronkite or these guys, nobody no one's going to check them. No one's going to check them on this crap. They get away with whatever they want. No one else has access to the raw tapes. No one else has access to the transcripts, right? I mean, not really. Now, oh, no, we can see what was said in the interview. And remember, this is this is what was actually said. Play clip two. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on, on <laughs> uh, who's writing the history. But I think a fair history would say it was a, it was a good decision because it, it upheld the rule of law. It, helped, it, it upheld the standards of the Department of Justice, and it undid what was an injustice. Does that sound like what was represented to you by that Sunday show by Chuck Todd there? He says, look, history's it was kind of a throwaway comment, like a preamble. I mean, look, history's written by the winners. But if you want to know what I think about this, I think that it was the right move because it was the right move, because it was just. They took what was effectively a throwaway comment. You know, it would be like if, if, if I if someone asked me, what do you think about what's going on here? Uh, you know, with with the Flynn case. And I said, look, I mean, you know, uh, it is it is what it is, but I, I think that we really need people to go get prosecuted who did this, whatever. And they just cut that out and they're like, oh, Sexton says we're done. It is what it is. It is what it is. That's all he said. It is what it is. Which <laughs> I, don't know, I don't even know what that means, but people say it a lot. Jerry Seinfeld, right? Producer Mark in his stand up. He calls it out. He's like, don't ever don't ever do the it is what it is. Yes. Correct, Buck. Yes, he does. And he's right about that. There were some very, there were some very good moments on that one. Uh, the, it, it is what it is. It's definitely something that you shouldn't, you shouldn't go around saying. I uh, try to avoid it. Also, for a lot of people, and I, I never like to say this to people, but try not to say like all the time. I'm, I'm hearing it more and more. A lot of people like, you know, like, I mean, like, there's a lot of that. Also fascinating when you hear Obama again, now that he doesn't have all the, the trappings of office and everything. Uh, it's uh, a lot of uh, a lot uh, a lot of this and all of that, and he kind of talks like this. And uh, sort there's this little there's pa- a lot of uh, 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 a lot of pauses. He has a, and it's just interesting because we were always told that he was the greatest, the most gifted, rhetorically gifted politician of of our lifetime, uh, of our lifetimes, I should say, and perhaps of all time. And um, no. False. I mean, I'm somebody that spends a lot of time doing a lot of talking without any notes and without a prompter. And I know when someone's good. I know when someone's gifted. Obama is not not even not even a little bit good. Good on a prompter speech. But so are a lot of actors. But I digress. But back back to the uh, Chuck Todd thing here. Come on. Do we think that that was an accident? They cut off the next sentence where he says he answers the question clearly and and says that, you know, this is really what the answer is. But they took a sort of throwaway thought when he's having a conversation with a journalist and act like that's his answer to the question. You know, it would be like if somebody said, well, you know, do you believe that this might have gone up? We said, well, you know, you, you, you can never know with absolute certainty, comma. But I think that the Obama administration had this problem all the way at the very top. If they cut off the comma and just said, oh, he said you can never really know. That is how dishonest these people are. And then they put out some little tweet on this. And it's look, that, that was one instance. That was one instance. And then you had 60 minutes, which 
Why do people still watch these legacy media outlets with a bunch of clowns who are not impressive, who just have inherited these huge platforms that were built over many decades when they had no competition, and now they're just incumbents, and there's nothing special or unique about it, but so many people are habituated. They want to watch, oh, I want to watch, you know, the ABC News broadcast it. You really want to watch a news broadcast that's 30 minutes long and at the end it always has something about, you know, someone who's like saving saving a mother duck in a pond somewhere or, you know, oh, or like, look at this, like, happy story of like a dog reunited with its owner that they, you know, got separated for a while. That's, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, I was an intern at CBS Saving News with Dan Rather before I ever thought I'd work in media. And I just remember just thinking everybody there was, was like pretty terrible. <laughs> I really did not. I, I, Dan Rather was, it was, a, was a total uh, unimpressive dolt. And I thought that the people that worked there were kind of mean to each other. And everyone thought what they're doing is much more important than what it was. Remember, this is CBS Evening News in 2000 before the uh, National Guard documents forgery scandal. Um, but it was everyone there thought, oh, so important. Dan Rather was so important. They all bought in this. I'm like, this guy's a buffoon. Why do you all listen to him? It really is like a cult. I mean, some media uh, apparati, apparati or apparatuses, whatever the word would be, uh, they, they're almost like a cult. People believe. I mean, I had some guy who's a very senior guy in news media say that he thought Diane Sawyer was the most brilliant human being he'd ever met. And I was like, you're, you're a senior news producer. And the guy had been in the game for like 40 years. You're a senior news producer. You sat down with, you know, world famous, uh, you know, world famous scientists and, you know, literary geniuses and, you know, I don't know, chess masters and all kinds. Diane Sawyer's most brilliant person. Yep. Oh, most brilliant person ever. I guess it's fun to believe, you know, it's fun to live in fantasy land. But we got another instance here of the media malfeasance. I know, I know. I'm, I'm just, I'm leaning into this one today. Um, here you get uh, what 60 Minutes, this is what got me diverted because I just love to trash these legacy, these legacy outlets need to go away. I mean, I will not be happy until CNN has to be completely rebranded as like the Home Shopping Network Part 2. Like, I will not be happy until that happens. Um, and it's going to be a long fight because they got a big war chest and a lot of legacy brand buildup, but it's a terrible trash organization that should, should go away. It should have to close its doors. Uh, but here is 60 Minutes slamming the Trump administration for something that, or slamming Pompeo uh, for something that he didn't say, play four. Initially, President Trump praised China, but in the following weeks, testing in the U.S. failed to catch up to the need. Vital equipment was short, bodies filled refrigerated trailers, and science was continuously challenged. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection? As the U.S. led the world in illness and death, the White House moved the focus to the Chinese government. That's where this began. Last Sunday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo attempted to resurrect a debunked theory that the virus was man-made in China. He's claiming that the Secretary of State of the United States was resurrecting a debunked theory. This is the claim that, that he's making. Hmm. Let's hear what Secretary Pompeo actually said. And this is what CBS or what uh, 60 Minutes CBS was referencing. Play five. Your office of the DNI says the consensus, the scientific consensus was not man-made or genetically modified. 
That's right. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen their analysis. I've seen the summary that you saw that was released publicly. I have no reason to doubt that that is accurate at this oh, point. Okay, so just to be clear, you do not think it was man-made or genetically modified? I've seen what the Intelligence Committee has said. I have no reason to believe that they've got it wrong. He has seen what the intelligence community says and has no reason to believe it's wrong. How is that resurrecting a debunked conspiracy theory? Huh. So there are a lot. So notice this is over the course of one weekend. They straight up some of the most revered, esteemed journalists and journalism platforms that exist for the mainstream journo world. And they are they flatly. Lie. I mean, they lie about what the attorney general said. They lie about what the secretary of state says. These are lies. And these are the people that are saying Trump lies, Trump lies. They have no honesty. They have no integrity. They're, they're in no position to be calling on anyone else for anything. But they think they do. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Icon Barry Goldwater went to the White House and actually told Richard Nixon that it was time to leave. Mm-hmm. That's that's not what we're even asking here, though. I believe America would be far better off and senior Absolutely. citizens would be far safer and we could face this crisis far better if Donald Trump did leave office. That's not going to happen. But we'd be better off without any president. That's the morning Joe Mika take. I mean, these people really have become a, a parody every morning absurd the stuff that they say and you can never forget that they i mean joe scarborough was all about trump trump was great had him on a show all the time and now it's it's personal for him look when you're when you're when you're a millionaire who is doing the bidding of the libs over at msnbc every day you know the libs say jump you say how high uh you know that 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 must erode your your sense, not just of self-respect, but over time, your just sense of, of decency and that internal calm that people can draw upon when things get tough. And you just become a, a shrill uh, loon like Joe Scarborough has become, which is which is a shame. I mean, this is a guy who used to be a conservative, apparently. Now it's now I don't know what you'd even describe him as, but he's entirely unhelpful. And while we're at this juncture of reopening, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, show, Georgia has reopened. And it is not a big, uh, horrific disaster. We're two weeks into the Georgia reopening, and they have fewer cases than they've ever had. Now, two weeks is the incubation period. So someone explain that to me. If the reopen was such a terrible idea, how could we be through a full incubation period of reopen and not see a big spike in cases? Right. Why, why wouldn't we see this? Oh, this it's slower. It's slower, Buck. Give it two more weeks. Give it two more weeks. Wait for the second wave. These people have been wrong about everything. You know that now they're writing stories about how we're facing a glut. We're facing an oversupply of ventilators. We went from a few weeks of, oh, my gosh, we're not going to have a ventilator. Everyone's going to die. And as I was telling you, ventilators are not a particularly good treatment for this at all. Ventilators, an absolute last resort because they don't know what else to do. So, you know, it wasn't like, oh, if we get enough ventilators, everybody's going to be okay. But, oh, we're going to run out of ventilators. And then it turns out now we're going to have we're going to have warehouses full of ventilators that we don't even know what to do with. What are we going to do with all these ventilators? But this is again, they they make these projections. They're wrong. And then they expect us not to care about the wrong projections. So it's uh, very frustrating. But we see this play out over and over again. And we also now see that the 
people in charge, they're recognizing, and we're going to get to another week on Thursday, unemployment numbers will come out. It's going to get really ugly, my friends. It's going to get worse. We're going to get to At this rate, we'll be at 30 million unemployed probably by the end of the week, officially unemployed, at least close to that, maybe 25 million, whatever the number is. I mean, the number is always less than what it actually is. And I see this and I recognize time is not on our side, as I've been telling you with the economy. And here's Mnuchin saying that it's not just a risk of like a bad economic year. There is systemic risk to the entire economy if we do not open this thing soon. Play clip 12. If we do this carefully, working with the governors, I don't think there's a considerable risk. Matter of fact, I think there's a considerable risk of not reopening. You're talking about what would be permanent economic damage to the American public. And we're going to reopen in a very thoughtful way that gets people back to work safely, that has them social distance. That is what we're doing. And now this is where we get into the what the Wall Street Journal calls a, a swoosh recovery, which means, you know, a V would be we got we got clobbered, but then we come right out of it, which is what we all wanted. That's not going to happen. Businesses are going to be opening at best at a fraction of their capacity. Demand will be a fraction of what it was. This is going to be slow. We are going we have we have definitely chosen to be in a recession that will last months, if not years. That's for sure. Are we in a depression that we're going to have to desperately try to to pull ourselves out of just into a, a recession? I think that's where we really are. And there's this greater recognition right now of of that uh, of that truth. I mean, here's you know, a piece in The Wall Street Journal uh, today. Factory furloughs across the U.S. are becoming permanent closings, a sign of the heavy damage the coronavirus pandemic and shutdowns are exerting on the industrial economy. Makers of dishware in North Carolina, furniture foam in Oregon, and cutting boards in Michigan are among the companies closing factories in recent weeks. Caterpillar Incorporated said it's considering closing plants in Germany. Boat and motorcycle maker Polaris plans to close a plant in Syracuse, uh, Indiana. And tire maker Goodyear Tire and Rubber plans to close a plant in Gadsden, Alabama. Those factory shutdowns will further erode an industrial workforce that has been shrinking as a share of the overall U.S. economy for decades. While manufacturing output last year surpassed a previous peak from 2007, factory employment never returned to levels reached before the financial crisis. Some of these furloughs, some of these slowdowns are turning into firings and shutdowns. Those will not be turned back on because for them to come back on, you would need the demand in order to make those sustainable businesses and to make those plants worth keeping open. We're not going to be back at that level of demand. We have a lot of people that don't want to go back to work as it is right now, even if they can. This is going to be a fight, my friends. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm back here in NYC where we're on lockdown and everyone's wearing masks in their cars, on their bicycles, acting like if they get within 50 feet of somebody, they're going to get, you know, this this terrible virus. And whew, and we're not opening anytime soon here. But I want to know what's going on in other parts of the country. And I keep reaching out to friends of mine in the media world who 
can illuminate what more sane regions are doing right now. And with that, we got our friend Ben Ferguson in the mix here. Ben is a, a nationally syndicated radio host of the Ben Ferguson Show. You can follow him on Twitter, on Facebook. Check out his uh, his podcast. Mr. Ben Ferguson from the great state of Texas. Thank hey, you. Hey, man. Thanks for making time. It's a pleasure. I, it's about time we start taping the conversations that you and I have all the time anyway, right? Yeah, I, well, I always tell people that the best conversations that happen in conservative media is like when none of us think anyone's listening or watching, we just let it rip. So you and I have that Speaking kind of, of. We, we've had that kind of rapport <laughs> for years. Because for those who don't know, um, ben and I have both, uh, and, and Ben, I believe you are, you are still there for the time being. Uh, so yeah. we don't want to, I, I know I can't ask you to say it, but Ben and I have both worked at CNN. I can say that. So there you go. Ben and I have both worked at CNN. Seven as, years, my friend. As, Seven years. As conservatives. Uh, <laughs> so you can imagine. Hard, hardest job you can get in TV is what I say. Oh, uh, you can imagine what that's like. Um, although I will say, have you ever done the, have you ever done Bill Maher's show? That is probably the hardest show. Well, years ago, I, I, I mean, he, he is one of the fun hard shows. But that's and, that's but, the toughest. You've done it. You, you've yeah, done it recently, I've right? I've done it a couple of times because they, they go four on one against you. And also yeah. the crowd is against you. And it's just like being in the Thunderdome with your hands tied behind your back. And you're like, what is going on? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. So we, we, let's like Tom Brady. Play, it's like Tom Brady playing anywhere in the country on the road, right? Everybody hates you because you win. Yeah. So. Tell me, my friend, uh, what is going on? First, you know, I know not only you're, you're a host, but you're also a business owner, entrepreneur. How are I mean, you got yeah. a great barbecue place up in Tennessee and a gun range there. Have you been able yeah. to, yeah. you know, where are we with keeping them open, reopening? What's the business looking like? Tell me about PPP. Walk me through how that's how that's going. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's so many things here that, that we're going to learn from this and we hope that we can fix. And I'll, I'll give you an example. The day that PPP came through because our business was clearly gonna apply for it. We had you know, dozens of employees. I have a barbecue restaurant. We have a gun range and a gun store all under 25,000 square feet. It's a large facility. We had Lamar Alexander on uh, from the Senate from Tennessee, uh, literally right after they passed PPP. I mean, within hours of them passing it. And we asked him like, hey, how, here, here's what we need to know. How do we get in line? How does this work? There's gonna be a rush on the bank. What do we need to do? And they talked about this being orderly. Well, then the reality set in. We were there, and I would consider myself to have kind of like insider information, right? You have a senator on who helped write the bill. We got our loan application Friday morning, literally when the bank opened. And then the bank said, all right, we got everything. A couple days later, they call back, hey, we had to change this. We need this now from you. Immediately ran it over the bank. Uh, and said, okay, we good. And they said, yes. And they got new guidance a couple of days later. And they said, hey, we need you, we need this, or we need to fill out this form, or we're changing this form. We ran down there and did that. Come to find out what was really happening all along is the federal government was giving a fee for every loan of PPP money that was given out. We found out the banks were basically saying, whichever loan is the biggest goes to the front of the line. Now, Congress knew about this. We told them about this because we were being told by the banks and we had people calling in saying, just so you know, if you're at a larger bank, get ready to get screwed. Even if you got in day one or day two in this loan, because they're pushing your 10 and 12 and 8,000 and $15,000 loans to the bottom of the barrel every single day when the bigger loans are coming in. So we literally called Washington and said, hey guys, Y'all, when this money runs out, you need to fix it the second time. And sure enough, Buck, guess what happened? They did not fix it. They had the ability to say to the banks, 
that loans must be uh, you know, done in the order in which they are received. They could have fixed this in the law for that second round of PPP money. Uh, it was deliberate, from what I understand, from big bankers uh, and others, especially those close to Nancy Pelosi, uh, to not fix that loophole. And so what ended up happening is we now are seeing small businesses that did not get any money the first and or second time. Now, we luckily got our E-number uh, Wednesday night around 10 o'clock after raising utter hell with the bank. And I think they realized this is going to be bad PR. They got in the first day. We got to get this money to the to this you know small business, and we were able to get our money right before it ran out. But but you see now that what has really happened is the banks were incentivized to to give these these loans to the biggest loan amount that was being requested, not based on who came in and the order in which they received. The government knew this was a problem, certainly within a week or so, and they chose deliberately not to fix this. So in middle America right now, unfortunately, uh, we're hearing from people every day and into my show that are calling in and saying, we never got our money uh, and this money is now going to be gone and no one's getting it that really needed it or not. A lot of people, I should say, are not getting it. And most of them are in that 25,000 to about 5,000 range where the loans that were left out deliberately because Washington yet again screwed the American people and genuine small businesses by hooking these banks up with these huge fees. We're speaking to Ben Ferguson of the Ben Ferguson Show. Man's also got a great head of hair. So those of you that only know his voice, just just put it out there. You know, Hair, hair game respects hair game. I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can, Buck, right? <laughs> hair game likes hair game. So tell me this, man. Uh, how are your employees then, then doing? Have you had to furlough? And, and also, are you yeah. able to, in Tennessee, are you guys back at, are, you know, are you doing takeout? Are you back at, what yeah. level of capacity are you at? When, do you think people, do, yeah. do your employees there think that folks would come and do sit down, maybe at a smaller, you know, the 25% capacity, I think, is what's being talked about in Texas. Uh, you know, t- tell me about how you're seeing that. And also just what you're seeing with, in, with the Texas reopenings. I know you, you got a hand in Tennessee, but you're down in Texas. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what's happened here. And it's really an issue of there's three major problems that the restaurants are having. I'll start with my barbecue restaurant, Ferguson's Barbecue. We're at 50 percent capacity. Well, there's no business structure that allows for a restaurant to make a living at 50 percent occupancy. Uh, so, yes, we are open right now. And yes, we're using that PPV money to keep our employees going. Uh, but we're losing money every day that we're open because it's impossible for us. We don't have a drive-through. We are a sit-down restaurant. Uh, and with social distancing and taking basically half of our tables out, uh, and we can have a full restaurant. We could be on a wait, and we will not make a living. So we're, we're basically saying we hope that, that as we're in uh, what the governors referred to, phase one of the opening, uh, which is and hopefully we'll get to that phase two, which will give us a, a more tables, right, in the restaurant. But there's no way that the restaurants that we've talked to, unless you have a drive-through window, unless you have a massive takeout business that you can survive in phase one or phase two of the reopening. We've seen the same thing in, in Texas, where it, with 25 in Houston, where I am 25% of occupancy. Uh, most restaurants that I know that w- had the option, I'll give you a great example. Thursday night, my wife and I, we went out for the very first time in what, two months? Uh, to a great restaurant. We got there, made a reservation because we were thinking, well, you know, finally the restaurant's reopen. Let's make sure we have a reservation. We got there. We were the only table that sat inside. There was a couple of tables outside. There was a single table inside. Uh, and we asked them, how are you guys doing? They said, if it wasn't for takeout, uh, we'd be screwed. They had one waiter for the whole restaurant. 
they had one chef and they had one person doing the dishes. Uh, so skeleton crew here, and, and that's the problem. And what I think the president understands is at some point you've got to allow these people to open up because no one in the restaurant world is going to be able to survive uh, on a 50 or 25% occupancy. It, mar restaurants is the hardest thing I've probably ever done in my career. Uh, it is slim margins. I mean, we, we may sell three grand in food, but you may only make $300. It depends on what you're selling. It depends on how long they sit. It, it, there's the restaurant business is a, is a three to five, 6% margin on average. So you gotta be open every day and you gotta have a really good staff and you gotta watch your cash flow. Uh, you know, barbecue has a little bit better margin. That's honestly I, one of the reasons why we chose to do it. I'm a barbecue guy, been competing, love it for years being from Memphis. Uh, but but these other restaurants that have really big overheads, they have premier locations. I, I don't know how 30, 40% of them don't disappear right, well, by the end of this. You, and, I, and I don't think that's a crazy number. You can, you can imagine here in, in New York City where commercial real estate Bingo. is billions and billions and billions of dollars of revenue of taxes. I mean, it's an enormous part. Uh, you know, I'm in midtown Manhattan. I mean, I'm surrounded by some of the most famous yeah. office buildings in the world. Uh, that's where I live and that's where I'm doing the show. And when are we going to get back to having these these sort of, uh, you know, cube farmer existences? Are we ever anyway? Uh, so you can imagine that that's going to be a huge problem. But I also well, I mean, want to ask. Look, I also you, I was also when you go out to eat when you, when you go out to eat. Those tables are so close together because that real estate costs so much. And New York's a great example. I, I would not be surprised if you guys lose 35, 40 percent of, of the businesses there. Restaurant business. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you. Just you can't do this. What, what are you hearing from? You know, I, I'm here in the city. I have some friends who are restaurateurs. I have friends who are restaurateurs in D.C. We know the restaurant business is in rough shape, right? And and that's not yeah. going to change anytime soon. And you know, I hope you and yours are able to to see it through. And you know, God willing, uh, you and I will be sitting down having a a sweet tea. And I'm really a brisket guy. I mean, that's kind of my go-to. So I've got I'm, you brisket, bro. I got your. I'm brisket sure you covered, guys have that friend. covered at, at Ferguson's. But on the on the oh, other yeah. small no, business, we, we, we actually so Mother's Day, we did. I think they said uh, Miss Kathy, who runs our, our pit. I think we did 27 briskets takeout for Mother's Day. That's awesome. Uh, I wish I could yeah, have been one so of them. That, I did I not mean, have I was one of those. She goes, ben, this is amazing. I was like, good. Keep selling them. <laughs> and now we have a shortage of meat. That's the other thing. I mean, we've got we had our we had our U.S. food truck show up on Thursday. And this is goes back to this country and opening back up. But this is serious. So I saw this shortage coming again every once in a while doing radio like you and I do and TV. You're blessed with information that you can really dissect and say, how is this going to relate to a business? And I saw that these these pork facilities were shutting down and beef facilities were shutting down. These shortages were coming. So we opened last week for the first time on Monday. We had frozen uh, enough of our food when we had the instant shutdown that we were OK for about a week. Our food truck came on Thursday. There was no briskets, there was no shoulders, there were no ribs, there was no sausage. Now I'm a barbecue place. What do you sell, right? Like what's left? If you have none of those things on your menu, I literally called my dad and said, dad, can you go to Costco? Nothing, they were completely bone dry. I said, he went to Walmart. I literally called other barbecue places in Memphis where I knew the owners. And I said, do you guys have any supply? And one of the guys actually let us go to his restaurant and buy some supply from him to make it through the weekend. Then we had to open up another account with a smaller food farm. Luckily, I was able to talk about this on the radio. We had people call us saying, hey, I can fulfill your order. We opened up another Cisco account with it. You know, we usually just had one supplier 
And, and so we were lucky. But then businesses right now, uh, we're seeing Wendy's are running out of hamburger meat because they're a fresh meat place around the country. And now they're having no more hamburger meat. Uh, we, we can't find a deep freeze, for example. Uh, they are gone. We went, we went to every store we get our hands on, use Craigslist, eBay, all of them, right? Facebook Marketplace, not a single deep freeze within 300 miles that we could even go get if we got the food to put it in the deep freeze. So that's the second wave of this. All this shutdown takes a lot of time to reopen it back up. You've got the COVID-19 in these factories where these workers stand side by side. And that's where a lot of people are getting hit right now is restaurants, even the ones that are getting open. If you, if you have a heavy protein-based menu, meat and poultry, you're in you're going to be hurting probably for the next month or so is what we've been told from our suppliers we've only got about a minute or two left we're speaking to ben ferguson but ben i, I just want to get your take uh, before we have to run into a break here of uh what's going on with gun buying in time te- mean, in new york the answer is Dude. zero because you're not allowed to buy guns here what's going what's going on in texas <laughs> yeah massive uh what, what has happened here we, we saw a couple different things here we saw a massive run at our gun store from asian americans who are very concerned about retaliation retaliation crimes against them because it's coming from China. Uh, I talked to a lot of those individuals personally and I understood their fear and I hated that they even felt that way. Uh, But that was kind of the first way. The second was home defense uh, went through the roof because people were hearing about police officers that were getting coronavirus. Uh, And in Memphis, for example, more than 100 police officers uh, are off the streets in quarantine. So you have fewer officers on the street. And then the third wave that we saw was business owners where everybody knows which businesses are dormant right which are which are closed down and so you started seeing uh these significant increase in burglaries because it was sitting ducks so these businesses are sitting there vacant you know they're vacant entire shopping centers are vacant you don't have to worry about people watching you uh and so we ran out of nine millimeters we ran out of 40s uh then we had the run on ammunition we ran out of every caliber that we get our hands on luckily uh, we were, you know, blessed slash smart and, and made sure that we had a manufacturer in our hometown for American-made ammunition, which we prided ourselves on custom making in our own box. So we were able to keep ammo coming in. But right now, if, if you go to a distributor and you try to order 9mm or two two six or, 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 you know, AR-15 rounds for people to keep it simple or 40, you may not get it for six months. That's how far the backlog is for most gun stores. Ben Ferguson, everybody. Ben, thanks so much, man. I look forward to going shooting hey, and, and eating some brisket with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, man. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You begin to uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but uh, our basic understanding of, of rule of law is at risk. That was the Obama quote. I, I had to take a, another, another crack at this one. That was the Obama quote that I mentioned in the first hour. So, you know, our, our basic understanding of the rule of law is, is at risk um, because we're not prosecuting a guy that clearly should never have been prosecuted, and it's a disgrace that the FBI did what it did, and a disgrace the DOJ went along with it, and a disgrace that the Mueller probe was a bunch of partisan hacks who were abusing the law for the most uh, clear and indefensible political purposes. Uh, but there's Obama weighing in. I, I meant, and, and then you have Brian, Brad Stelter, who's like, why are they spending so much time on the Flint story? Play 15. 
like it's so disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these revelations about the Russia probe and the decision about Michael Flynn. They're treating the Michael Flynn story like it's a bigger deal than the deaths of 2,000 Americans a day. You know, we're seeing this on Fox and Friends and other shows. Oh, when just the president enough. Into Fox I can't. I, just shut this moron up, somebody, please. It's just appalling. Like, no one's treating like it's a bigger thing. It's another new. Can we only talk about coronavirus all day long? Because that's what we've basically been doing for eight weeks now. Are, are there allowed to be other news stories? This from the network, CNN, that ran with the Russia collusion madness. Russia, 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 every day for three years. Then it was all a lie. It was a fantasy. It was a fiction. Stelter, Tapper, Cooper, Cuomo, Burnett, go through the whole crew, all just propagating lies all the time, having these horrible legal analysts spewing bull crap on the air. Oh, and now that the truth comes out, why are you talking about the Flynn case? You jerk. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. To mask or not to mask? That is the question many of us are asking these days. We ask about the mask. Uh, the evidence for outdoor transmission, as I've told you many times, is well, there is a lot of evidence that it's not a risk, that it's not something that you should be concerned about. Now, when I say it's, it's not a risk, um, you know, there, there's always a risk of something that could happen that you can't, but you don't live your life. You know, I, I couldn't tell you that producer Mark won't get hit by hail because there was some hail in New York today that happens to hit him in the temple and happens to cause an aneurysm and he falls down and no more producer Mark. That would be we would be super sad, producer Mark. But I'm not going to tell you not to go outside because there was hail. Uh, uh, there was hail earlier today and you could be hit by a piece of it you know what i mean why are we killing me off in this ridiculous scenario i don't know but i'm just trying to come up with a ridiculous scenario and i just wanted everyone to pay attention and they'd be sad if we lost bruce or mark to a piece of hail everybody would there'd be a lot of tears from team buck yeah now but i have you're to not go worried outside about with a baseball bat and beat away the hail thanks right exactly you're not worried about it you still go outside but i can't guarantee you that can't happen outdoor mask outdoor transmission rather of this disease is not a high enough risk to justify outdoor mask wearing now in new york the guidance People forget this. The guidance is if you can't social distance and you're out in public, wear a mask. It's not you have to wear a mask all the time if you're outside. But that's what everyone's taken it to be. And other places, other states have also had this where in Florida and this, there's going to be some bleeped out language here because this person was kind of losing it. In Florida, you had a woman who clearly snapped and went went nuts and yelling at people because of they're not wearing a mask. Play 17. I'm a little pissed off at the simple fact that people around this town don't wear the mask, don't wear their gloves. I just finished showing a house right now. The lady was pissed off because I asked her to wear a mask. Like, seriously, woman? And then she's coughing two seconds later. Like, it's no god big deal. We're in this because of like that. Because people out there on their god boats doing all their bull partying. No, I'm not jealous. No, I'm not. Because you know what? I have a yacht. I could go out with my friends and party, but there's a god time and place for everything and now is not the time and place now is the time and place to be taking care of yourselves and the people around you there are people dying there are people in hospitals risking their lives because a mother like you who won't wear your mask who don't wear your gloves who don't wear practice social distancing yes miami's a party town but the truth is you know what there's a time and place for partying and everything now is not the time to party wear your mask wear your gloves or we're going to be quarantined all the way to god september and we may be spending 
New Year's in our house because of you out there who don't wear your mask. Now, I understand that was a deeply uh, ineloquent (laughs) rant, Um, but it is representative of a wider sentiment out there that people have now become mask panicked. There is mask panic, in fact, bit of a play on words there, where if you don't wear masks, people now want to blame you. Now, I find this very troubling because we see the state, the sort of big S state. Sometimes it's an actual state. Sometimes it's the federal government. Sometimes it's the apparatus of the government, the bureaucracies, the public health authorities and the media. Um, But the people that want control are using masking now as a this is now a barometer of how much you're willing to be controlled. And I get a sense that they are encouraging us turning on each other over this issue. That we, we now are, are at odds over this as people, and there'll be blame now for anyone who doesn't wear, wear a mask, even though masking in public is completely absurd. It's absurd. There's no basis for this uh, other than just people. Now, if you want to wear a mask because it makes you feel better, fine. I'm not trying to take away anyone's right. Now, remember, the mask is really to protect other people. It's not so much to protect you. You can still get this in the eyes. You can still breathe this in, especially if it's a cloth mask. It does not prevent any transmission of the disease. And if masks were enough, my friends, no healthcare workers would be getting this at all, right? I mean, because unless they're touching their eyes or doing something that's really egregious, they're wearing masks. They have PPE. I know there's been a run on PPE. And we'll return to that in a, in a moment about what China has been doing with that. But a mask is not enough. Otherwise, well, then. All you have to do is wear a mask. You're not going to get the disease. Right. And healthcare workers are wearing masks. So, you know, if you're being exposed to a lot of this in the air, it's not pulling out all the viral particles. As I said, it can go into your eyes. This is it's smaller than a, it's smaller than bacteria. As we know about viruses, we all learned this in like the fifth grade. So if it's in the air, you're not. But. It disperses in open air. We've been over this before. There's really there's really a, a infinitesimal risk of of uh, of contracting this in open air. But I don't like that the people are now mobilizing the masses through fear against those of us who are trying to get back to the beginnings of normalcy. I, one of the themes today on the show has been how the economy is going to be in a more precarious place than a lot of people realize, even as we're opening. You're going to have vastly suppressed demand, enormous amount of debt, enormous amount of destroyed uh, businesses out there that will have to find a way to to reopen. They haven't made the profits they've needed. Just paying your employees is not the same thing as having a successful business. They haven't, you know, and, and who who is going to bring back demand for things like incredibly expensive office space in major cities? Who is going to bring back demand for the subways? New York alone is facing billions and billions of dollars of shortfall because of taxes. Every state that is shut down is going to have shortfalls as a result of this. So we, we are just we're just trying to get to the point where we start to piece back together our society after it has been economically flattened. And there are people that are saying, no, don't piece it together. We're all going to die if you try to start to rebuild. What's the alternative? What are we really going to do? We're going to sit here and wait therapeutics are not going to save us. A vaccine is not coming anytime soon. And we cannot sit and wait for a plan that is just a fantasy plan about test and trace. So we know about every case we can stop every person who gets this. You know, the problem we have right now in testing in most most of the country is overcapacity, meaning that people aren't taking all the tests that are out there. 
You know, they could do 10,000 tests a day in some places. They're only doing 2,000 tests a day in some states. What are, what are you going to do? Well, I'll, I'll, that's actually that's actually an important important place that I, I want to just take a pause and bring you up to speed because we keep hearing about how other other countries have controlled this. Let's do what they what they do. We keep hearing that. Well, here's a thread on Twitter from somebody who is a uh, I, be, I believe he's a professor. Uh, or he's talking about what he's learned from a professor in South Korea. And, and here is the uh, here is the thread, which which is a remarkable, um, a remarkable series of steps. And, and I checked these out of the weekend and it and it adds up. Uh, this is what this is what we're hearing about what's going on in uh, in South Korea, because we're told, oh, we could we could do what they do. And and here. It, oh, he goes as an American South Korea. It's very interesting to me to the, the, the stark contrast of how different the two countries response to coronavirus is. This gentleman's name is Michael Kim on Twitter. This this went completely mega viral over the weekend, this tweet. And it's this whole thread of what of what's going on in that country. And we should know. He's telling you, people say, oh, we'll do it like South Korea. Here's what they're doing in South Korea, folks. And they still have cases and they still have people dying from it. Quote, upon arrival, they take your temperature at the airport and ask if you've experienced any symptoms. If you have, they move you to a separate area and give you a coronavirus test. If you haven't, they take you to another area and interview you. They also install ankle bracelets. You are required to install an app on your phone and enable location tracking all the time. You are required to self-report symptoms in the app twice a day. If you don't have symptoms, you need to report that too. This goes on for a period of 14 days. During this time, you are not allowed to leave the quarantine dormitory. They put you in a dormitory or your home if you've chosen to self-isolate at home. So if you don't have a home, you go into a quarantine dormitory mandated by the state. You cannot take public transportation or taxi and you cannot self-isolate in a hotel or Airbnb. If you don't have a, a home, you must use the dorm. If you break quarantine, you are fined 10,000 U.S. dollars and face jail time. Also, they check your location on the phone frequently. My wife had her location checked 37 times in a three-day span. And they've caught enterprising folks who leave their phone at home and go out. During this self-isolation, you cannot have contact with anyone during this time. They give you special trash bags to throw away your trash in. And people in hazmat suits come and collect your trash upon request. You are assigned to a caseworker who is responsible for making sure you are following all the orders. They will call you and text you to make sure you are okay. They will also send you care packages that contain a lot of food, gloves and masks, uh, etc. If there is a new coronavirus case in your general area, same city or district, you get a public safety alert on your phone that tells you about the person, age, male, female, city, and provides updates as they receive them. I forgot to mention, Korea also has mobilized their army to provide more operations and logistics support at the airport. We were required to get a COVID-19 test within three days of arriving, which is the only activity that's allowed to break quarantine. You have to do this in coordination with the caseworker. Uh, I mean... There's absolutely no protests or demonstrations about the anti-freedom measures or invasion of privacy. Everyone seems to accept these measures. While we still take precautions like wearing masks, washing hands, etc., I feel pretty confident the government knows everyone who has coronavirus and is tracking things very closely. 
con- contrast this with the situation in the U.S. No one really knows everyone who has coronavirus. So you have to assume everyone has it and there's no actionable plan. Can you imagine trying to do this in America? Uh, th- this country is just not, I mean, at least half of us not going to comply with this. Ankle bracelets, monitoring, checking in with government authorities multiple times a day. What are your symptoms? Where are you? You're staying in this government-approved quarantine home if you don't have a home. $10,000 fine if you decide to go out and get a sandwich. My friends, does anyone really think that we could do this? We would do this. We should do this. That's what's going on in South Korea. And South Korea still has cases of the virus. People still die from it. Can you imagine this degree? The government's going to put an ankle bracelet on you like a criminal and monitor you through your own smartphone app multiple times a day. And you have no choice. You have to comply with this. For a disease that kills less than 1% of the people who get it. And we've already had about a third in New York City, of all people, get it. We're going we're gonna to comp- do that? You're going to do that in states that have had less than 1,000 fatalities from this? Ankle brace? Think of the massive program here, the plan. Hundreds of millions of people in this country. 20 million illegals. Just... You know, we've got more illegals than they've got people in a lot of these countries that are trying these different measures. I mean, I think South Korea's got 50 million. Sweden's got 10 million. You look at these and Sweden's done the opposite approach of the like, let people live life. Sweden was right, by the way. And everyone I love people keep saying, oh, we're not like Sweden enough to model that to to use their approach as a model. We're like South. But let's do the South Korea maneuver. You think we're like we're more like South Korea culturally, economically and politically than we are like Sweden? I mean, I guess you can make the case, but I don't know. We're not going to do the South Korea model. So people who are yelling test and trace, this is just a delay. This is a fantasy because they don't want to admit that we have to open. We have to open the country up. It's not perfect. It's not perfect now. People have been dying every single day of lockdown. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them died during lockdown. So lockdown, we assume, saved all these lives, but is it really saving lives? Just look at what's going on in the nursing homes. How much worse would it have been in the nursing homes if we had just told people to social distance but keep going to work? These are the questions that a lot of people in charge don't want to answer because they've forced us. We're in a pandemic, and they forced us into a depression that did not have to be. That's what the real problem is that they have. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We also know from their own customs data that they vacuumed up uh, virtually all of the world's personal protective equipment, including over two billion masks. And we also know that today what China is doing, sitting on that stockpile of what we call PPE, uh, is they're selling it at profiteering prices to some and to other countries. They're actually putting pressure on those countries to deny the virus came from China or to talk about Taiwan or do other things. Hmm. China hoarding PPE when they knew that this was about to hit all these countries all over the world. And there's even more than that. I mean, look, the China, the relationship between not just the U.S., but the world and China is never going to be the same after this, which is a good thing. This has been a this has been a wake up call. It is a necessary wake up call for us in this country that China should uh, not be treated like it's a nation that if it just becomes wealthier and more influential, is going to be happy with that and everyone's going to live happily ever after in the rest of the world. That's not the, that's not the case. China is a uh, economically rapacious authoritarian regime that has aspirations of global dominance, of being the hegemon, of pushing the United States aside. And this current 
competition we're in for stabilizing and reopening our societies. Uh, This is a a civilizations in the balance kind of moment. How are we going to uh, end up in this whole thing versus how is the Chinese government going to do? This is a question that we're all going to have to face. We're all going to have to take we should be taking very seriously right now. It looks like China might be able to get up and running faster than we are after being knocked down by this virus that they caused and then hid from the rest of the world. And on top of that, they're also using this as an opportunity, even when we would think that the world perhaps is linked arm in arm, all all pushing, all fighting against this virus. Even when you think that's the case, guess what? Uh, The Chinese government is still looking to uh, gain gain advantage in this whole process. U.S. to accuse China of trying to hack vaccine data as virus redirects cyber attacks. That's that's quite a headline from The New York Times today. Here's what they're telling us. The FBI and the Department of Homeland Security are preparing to issue a warning that China's most skilled hackers and spies are trying are working to steal American research in the crash effort to develop vaccines and treatments for the coronavirus. The efforts are part of a surge in cyber theft and attacks by nations seeking advantage in the pandemic. That's right. China is viewing this moment when we're there's a there's a few reasons for vulnerability here. We are distracted by the pandemic. We are wounded and slowed down by the pandemic. And there's also a greater sense of openness and transparency around a lot of proprietary pharmaceutical, medical, and scientific information, right? We're all supposed to be doing what we can to beat this virus. And I've, I've talked to doctor friends here in New York who are saying that uh, this is a moment in time they've never seen anything like it where there's so much free sharing of information among the, among the global medical community now. It hasn't really, I mean, it's been helpful, but it has not created any major breakthrough yet against the virus but in that environment the chinese government is having its state-sponsored hackers and and state-paid hackers i mean some of these are people that work you know for the chinese government you know they have some that are there's plausible deniability with the hacking there's others that are just the chinese communist party's internal security apparatus doing this at the behest of the chinese military and the chinese government uh, they're trying to use this as an opportunity to steal more. Once again, this is what they do. They steal sensitive and valuable information, and that is what they're up to right now. And it's, um, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Are we going to hold them accountable for this? I mean, that's the most obvious thing. Buck is like, it's naughty what they're doing. No, I know, but are we going to? No, I don't think we, I think we're too busy, and they know that. We're focused on other things. So even while they're trying to steal vaccine information from us uh, we can't we, we can't trust the chinese government to work with us even on even on this issue they're trying to steal instead of collaborate that is the chinese communist party thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts I just thought, wow, this guy i thought he was really sexy and um you know he was he was, <laughs> he was, he just oozed decency and, incre- and uh, integrity. He was, he was kind and caring and all of those things. And huh. so after the dinner, and after the dinner, everybody left the table. He and I were still 
locked in conversation. And on the way home, I said to my husband, Ben Bradley, um, you know, I found the guy. I found the perfect person for her to have an affair with because she had been married to the president who was a jerk and she wasn't really in love with him. And he was totally in love and involved with himself. And here was Tony Fauci, who, yeah. in, even though he was famous and, and you know, well-respected and all that, didn't care about fame or money or power he oh, just Fauci. to do good mark i thought i thought that this sally quid lady was talking about me at the start here oh, you know what i mean i'm sorry i yeah. should have cut out the end so everyone thought she was talking about you here's this guy who's really sexy who who's decency and integrity i'm like apparently she listens to the buck sexton show or watches me on pluto tv's channel 248 the first I don't think you can even get Snow Princess to say nice things like that about you. Not like that. Yeah. No. Ooze decency and integrity and was really sexy. I mean, hopefully she thinks that, but I don't think she'd ever say that in public. And uh, I just, I love this though. Yeah. Dr. Fauci, you know, here we are. I'm, I'm a sex machine. I'm a super, I'm a, I'm a super stud muffin Fauci. I'm like, come on, man. Really? This is where we are with this? I don't know what's more disturbing, your Fauci impression saying he's sexy or the Warren impression doing loving the rock. Oh man. That was one of our that was one of our uh, that was one of the moments on the show that people really remember. I could yes. I can't even like conjure it up in my own head, but I remember listening back to it and I was like, Wow, we really took that to another place. Uh, I'm oh, not even sure what place we went to. He's a sexy man with those pectoralis major muscles. Ooh, I just want to touch up Elizabeth Warren. Oh hey. Uh so where were we? Oh, yes. This was the point where I just said, yeah, that's right. Anthony Fauci to libs is a sex symbol now. That's how that's how insane these people look. I mean, Fauci's a nice guy and he's a handsome older gentleman and all that. I'm not I'm not trying to be uh, rude about it, but I mean, come on, let's not be insane, folks. Right. I mean, it's just so weird. Why? Why revere this public health expert in this way? I will say Dr. Burks's scarves, from what I understand from the ladies, very fashionable, very fashionable. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not or you heard that or not. Producer Mark, does Mrs. Mark uh, like the scarves of the Dr. Burks? Uh, no, uh, I think that's uh, an older age demographic. Old that, lady uh, thing. Enjoys older, the older, scarves, pardon yeah. me. Excuse me, Buck. Yeah. Older lady thing. I said it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> an older lady thing. Um, all right. This is where we can do roll call. So Buck stops making an ass of himself. Hit it. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. All right, Rick writes, Hey, Buck and producer Mark, listening to Thursday's podcast, it was a pleasant surprise to hear Mike Slater on your show. Although I've never met him, I did get to talk to him a few times on a Saturday show back in the day. I agree with you. He's a good and nice guy. So glad that you, Mike, and Dana are metaphorically together again, and Jesse is like the cherry on top. You all do such a great job. Nice catch on the Cincinnatus reference, by the way. Shields high. Well, thanks so much, Rick. Yeah, I, look, we've got, a, we've got a great crew at the first that they've pulled together, and I mean, Mike Slater is one of the most earnest, nice, good dudes you'll find in this business. Jesse Kelly, who, by the way, is also super nice, but is, is don't tell him I said that because his head's big enough, but is obviously a hilarious guy. And, and is a really, really uh, astute political analyst and observer, too. And then Dana Lash needs no accolades or, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, 
high fives for me. I mean, Dana's Dana. Everyone knows Dana's work and she's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we got a really good we got a really good crew, really good squad. And um, as for the Cincinnati's reference, you're going to throw an ancient Rome reference. You're going to slip that one past the Buckster. I don't think so. Not on my watch. Uh, and yeah, but thank you so much. I appreciate you, uh, Rick, writing in and, and joining us and all that. Adam writes, Buck, does Commie Bear play speed chess? Shields high. So, Adam, uh, Commie Bear, speed chess. You know, Commie Bear is a character we created that people keep asking for me to bring him back. I don't know. I feel like some people think it's just they're not into it and other people really like it. I kind of want to do it and bring him back, but I don't know how. I, would, I guess we could now on the first, but it, it was kind of a gag. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Producer Mark probably doesn't know what Commie Bear is. So. Uh, I've heard of it. I've, I've never actually seen it, but you know, yeah, that sounds there's like... some, there might be some old YouTube videos bouncing around of Commie Bear doing his thing. Uh, but as I was going to say, it say sounds like it a was, great YouTube video for us. That might be a good thing on the YouTube.com slash Buck Sexton YouTube yes. channel that we have launched. That is fantastic. And everybody listening to this should, should subscribe to because there'll be more and more content on that going forward. So, yeah, maybe Commie Bear we could bring. But it was like a little bear that is, a, is with a little bottle of vodka and an AK-47 and who would give his thoughts on Taylor Swift, Beyonce, politics, and uh, socialism, which would probably be a good time. All right, all right, I'm kind of selling myself on it as we're thinking about it. Does he play speed chess? Of course, and he always wins or else he'll bust out his AK on you, his tiny, tiny AK-47. Kyle, Buck, you're absolutely on point with General Flynn. When this whole thing started, I argued with Lib and said the only thing that was proven is that you never sit down to chat with an FBI agent unless your lawyer is uh, present. Between Flynn, Kavanaugh, the Mueller investigation, and impeachment, it's like the progressive concept of justice is like something you'd hear from someone who escaped the Soviet Union or some third-world blank hole country. Great show. Love your take on things and the color commentary of producer Mark. Yep, the penalty box is a much, much revered addition to the show, a.k.a. producer Mark commentary. And as for... Um, as for Flynn, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think that people have lost their minds on this Flynn case on the left and they no longer can be reasoned with. And as for the FBI, I wouldn't sit down with the FBI without a lawyer. And I used to work with the FBI. I mean, I used to do things with the FBI when I was CIA, when I was NYPD Intel uh, Division Analyst. Um, yeah, I would, uh, I would not talk to them now. If the FBI called me and they're like, hey, Buck, can we sit down and chat with you about something? I'd be like, nope, that is a no. So we'll take that for what it's worth. And I'm, I'm on I'm rooting for law enforcement and I'm rooting for the rule of law every every day, every time I can, every way I can. But um, sorry, man, you know, after watching that Waco series and now this, I mean, I already knew about the Waco stuff before, but the series kind of brought it all home for you. Mark, did you finish it? Yeah, I finished it before you remember. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. you told me to watch it, I think. Or you told me that it was good that the finish of it was good, which reminds me. I oh, have no. watched two movies over the weekend on the advice of one producer, Mark, as well as many of you who write in. One of them was Uncut Gems. One of them was Winter Soldier. One of them I found highly uh, entertaining. And the other one I thought I was going to have to stab my eyes out with a blunt object. Which one is which producer? Mark? I, I don't even, you, This is a stupid question. We both know you like Uncut Gems and you didn't like Winter Soldier because you have some personal vendetta against Marvel movies. Well, I will have movies. you know that you have it backwards. Sir. No way. Yes. I liked Winter Soldier. I hated Uncut Gems. How? Hated it. It was so what, good. What is there to like in the movie? It's cursing every three seconds, and the guy's horrible, and he's mean he's to a, his family. He's a mobster and, from Brooklyn. Oh, 
Oh. Of course he's cursing every five seconds. I've never seen anything like him. Is he a mobster? I don't I've know never... mobster, but you know what I mean. He's a, a, a jewelry guy from Long Island or wherever he was from in New York. I also couldn't understand uh, a lot of the dialogue. I'm just going to say it. I was like, you're from New York. I know. But there was a lot of everyone's talking so fast and uh, cursing. And you're was... like the only person who I've heard that's watched that movie that has said this. I know, dude. I know. I'm just telling. Well, I watched it with uh, I watched it with a couple of family members, and, and I'll tell you they they were not they were not fans either, man. I mean, we were like, what? Here is what I what is the point of the movie? That's what it didn't make clear. I mean, that the, the, there's some magic that this stone has. Anyone who has a stone, things are going well, and then you lose the stone, and things go badly. It's not and actually. It's, like, what's, it's not actually the stone. It's just a story. You don't well, have to. I will it, say, it I look, I'll to say that I, I got over my Avengers thing because I realized that as somebody who likes the Marvel comics, I should probably just try to, you know, st- and the Winter Soldier was an entertaining and well-made film. Yes. Everyone it, says that's one of the best. Yeah. The the Winter Soldier, the Captain America. One, I, I'm also I just like Captain America because like America and freedom and stuff. So I thought that I thought that one was pretty good. And now I liked it so much that I'm willing because I have Disney Plus to go and watch some of the other Avengers movies. I'm glad. Maybe so, see, we'll finally I get over this. One. But, I'll, you know, you're, for me, you're one for two on this one. You're one for two. You got me to watch I, Winter Soldier, which I liked. Uncut Gems, though, so much cursing. I'm just And, everyone's, and everyone's so mean to each other. Why are they all so mean? Uh, you sound yeah. like a grandmother that watched this movie. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt like. I was like, yeah. I, don't, I don't like this. They're all with the potty mouths and the being mean and... Yeah, what? yeah, because you never curse when you're not on the radio. No, 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 no I would never do that. Anyway, I, I look, I, I watched it. I, I gave, I gave it a shot. I did like his um, assistant or whatever, or just the other sales lady. She was nice. The, I like her. The one she that he's in a in an affair with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, I believe, uh, I believe in uh, mobster speak, she would be referred to as a gumar. Sure. Right? That's, I believe, what you call a mistress? Yes. Yes. So I, I believe it was his gumar. But he's not an Italian mobster, so it doesn't really make it. But yeah. there are mobsters in the movie. Yeah, I can't keep he, it He's all. a Jewish mobster. Jewish. Is, there a, is there a Jewish, uh, Yiddish equivalent of, a gumar, of, of the Italian word for mistress? Like, is there something? Not that I know off the top of my head. I'm just saying. All right. But, uh, and also, I had never, I mean, there was the scene that they were having um, Passover, right? Wasn't that a Passover dinner? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never been to one of those. So you got to invite me sometime. It's not fun. You can't eat any bread. Oh, crap. That's that holiday. What happens to what happens to people like what happens to weirdos like me that can't eat bread when they only I mean, this is well, a problem in church. I'm curious. Can bread. you eat matzah? I don't think so. I don't think it has yeast in it. It doesn't have yeast, but it has, it has flour. Wheat. Yeah. It has wheat. Yeah. I wonder if they make gluten free matzah. I'll look into it. You don't want. Yeah, you let me. You find some gluten free matzah. I'm coming over. You and Mrs. Mark are going to put me through my first. Uh, I've never right. even been to a Seder. Although my first girlfriend was Jewish, actually. You'll love the main course, which is usually brisket. I mean, I do love brisket. Yes. Isn't it interesting? Brisket is a staple of sort of Jewish cultural cuisine as well as Southern barbecue. Yeah, it is a weird crossover, but made completely differently. Right, right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
All right, roll call continuing here. And remember, if you want to send in your thoughts, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Um, if you address your email to producer Mark is a is a wonderful fellow um, and is amazing, you'll probably more likely to get your email in. But I'm you didn't hear that tip from me. Uh, but also you can send it to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to send it on Instagram, because I keep seeing people doing that, I appreciate it. But you got to give me a first name because I can't I don't want to introduce on air, you know, Patriot gun collector nine five five seven writes in. You know what I mean? Like we need a just give me a name, a first name of some kind. Or I guess I could just make names up. All of a sudden everyone's gonna be named Bob and Susie. Those are usually my go to's. Bob and Susie. Very Midwest. Right. Yeah. Well not but not a youper necessarily. Right? I said it right? You did. A youper. Thank you. I learned things. I'll never forget when someone on this show it was like my mind was blown. It was years ago. Someone's like, Buck, you've been saying the state that Las Vegas is in the wrong way your whole life. You need to change. And I was like, no way. Turns out, yeah, it's Nevada. It is not Nevada. A lot of New Yorkers say Nevada, though. I will have you know. But uh, it is Nevada. So I, I learned how to say it properly. Uh, see, I learn, I learn things from doing the show all the time. I learn what a youper is, for example. Uh, where are we on this one, Buck? Oh, yes, Robert. Buck, I think the reason the left went after General Flynn could be very simple and shallow he led the lock her up chant of the convention, which started a movement. He became a target when he supported Trump and was prioritized when he led the chant and it went viral. Um, Robert Obama is uh, was a very thin skinned individual, uh, very not, you know, not good at handling criticism. And I remember once there was something with some journalists, I think someone did a cartoon or something and, and they, they, he, Obama didn't like the way that his, his ears were depicted. This was from journalists a long time. And he made a, you know, made a big thing of this, like, don't do that. And I mean, it was a political cartoon. Like they exaggerate um, people's features. That's what they do. So Obama's always been somebody who's not able to take criticism and, and really hasn't had to take much criticism, has really gone through his professional life and, and political life being told by, Everyone around him, at least on his side of the political spectrum as a Democrat, how wonderful he is and how brilliant and amazing he is. And that does not make for somebody that deals well with um, opposition voices and people saying, you know, you're not that great on this thing or that thing, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But they just really didn't like Flynn. They really didn't like him. You know, that's a part of it. And you think about it, who else as a head of one of the three letter agencies wasn't really a deep state kind of guy at that phase, right? Flynn was the odd man out. You look at people from CIA, FBI, DOJ, NSA, you know, they're all doing the bidding of the of the establishment national security apparatus. Flynn was a little bit of a wild card for them. And then he went after Obama a little bit. And then and just just a little bit, by the way, a little bit, a little bit. Chip Buck, huge fan, been listening from the beginning. Oh, wow. Original Saturday Squad, OSS. Just catching up on Friday's episodes and have to say, out of all the Ben Stiller movies, the Heartbreak Kids has to be up there in the top three. Funny as hell. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Um, not that you're like this special Jewish correspondent, but I, I mean, I am kind of asking you a lot of questions today, Mark. What is the Ben Stiller movie, The Heartbreak Kids? Uh, I have not seen it, but uh, I will report. Did you see that his father, Jerry Stiller, passed away today? Oh, I did not see that. Yeah. Man, that's I know he's from the Seinfeld. He's from Seinfeld. He's from King of Queens. He was one of the best char char characters in both of those shows. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How yeah. old was he? 92. So he died peacefully. All right. you know, he, 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 lived I mean, he, went, he went the full distance, which is always... Then you can have a... You know, it's sad, but you can have a celebration of someone's life at 92. It's not like someone when they're, you know, 30. Uh, so, I mean, not that that's particularly helpful, I'm sure, to his family right now, but I just, you know, God bless and a, a man who lived a good life and did a lot of good work. Um, Mark... Hello, Buck. I heard a prediction that Adam Schiff will submit articles of impeachment on A.G. Barr. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, that's not going anywhere. Uh, there's there's no way that's going to do much of of anything. Um, so, yeah, that's just going to be Schiff being Schiff. Sean writes, Buck, just heard you talking about future plans of coming to Nebraska. Please do come visit. I would definitely attend any speaking engagement you give. I'll take a work a day of work off if I attend, if I have to. KFAB is an amazing radio station. You're on the right side of issues. I was driving down the road listening to KFAB, and that's how I became one of your listeners. Doors always open. You and producer Mark, shields high. Sean, I love it. KFAB is a fantastic heritage radio station we're proud to be affiliated with, and we love all of our folks in the Nebraska area who are listening. So thank you so much for that. We'll be back tomorrow, team. Shields high.